Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. You know, it's been so long since we've done back-to-back shows, I almost forgot how to do it. I, I might still have forgotten how to do it. We don't know yet. We'll see if this actually gets successfully posted. I think this is part of your New Year's resolution that we're going to have more shows in 22 than we had in 21. That's going to depend more on you than me. You always say that. <clears throat> I can't help it if I'm the social one. You're the one who goes places on a Sunday. Yes, I do things. Schedule things so that you're not going places on a Sunday and we'll have more shows. It's not all my fault. You oh, could, you could have fault. you could have shows without me. It is all your fault. You could have shows without me. I could, but then, you know, when I ask questions and nobody answers, it's not as entertaining. Well, it might be entertaining in a different way. <laughs> in that train wreck kind <clears throat> of way? Possibly. All right. So, you know, being that is, it is that the off season mm-hmm. and we're trying, I mean, we got a little time bought for us because the season ended later than normal. Um, there really have, and, and actually most of the comments that we would normally talk about of everybody's self-reviews, they've happened already. So we've lost all of those stories. Yes. We have one story. Actually, it is possible. It is distinctly possible. Because of the timing of the statement that possibly Mohammed bin Salayim and somebody at the FIA is listening. Because we said in the last show, Mm -hmm. we said that if they were going to have an impact and if they were going to keep Lewis Hamilton and if you know, the, they were going to build confidence with the fans. The FIA needed to actually do something with this investigation and not, you know, make it the FIA's version of OJ's investigation to find a real killer. Okay. And the day after I posted this, maybe it was a couple hours after I posted it, um, the FIA gave us an update. They released a statement. Okay. A whole statement. I know that we are very, very popular amongst the FIA and associated peoples. Do you? Uh Uh-huh. So it's my understanding that somebody printed out our logo and lit it on fire. They did not. Lit it on fire at the fire. (laughs) They did not do that. The fact that our logo clogged a toilet at the FIA was the problem. But we were very popular. We talked about for days. I mean, I've ignored all of those cease and desist letters. (laughs) (laughs) It is your finest hour to go, oh, look, another (laughs) C&D. But how cool is it that we get mail from the FIA? Yeah. (laughs) The fact that we have to have the local constabulary have their bomb-sniffing dogs sniff it first is starting to become disconcerting. Well, they were okay with it at first. I mean, it's good training. Well, yeah, but (laughs) (laughs) it was when they found the one that had anthrax in it that was a little scary. Oh, okay. A little too far there. Line crossed. Let's go back. Okay, so it was powdered creamer, but... Anyway, so... The FIA released a statement to give us an update for us. 
Us. Everybody else picked up on it afterwards, but it was released for us in response to us. Okay. It's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Does it start with? Suck at Sky Sports. No. Um. <laughs> Does it start with, due to overwhelming pressure from U.S. podcasting media? No. What it says, mm-hmm. following the decision to the World Motorsport Council in Paris on 15 December 2021, the FIA administration, under the leadership of Mohammed Ben Salem, has stated the has started the detailed analysis of the events of the last. Formula One Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. The FIA president launched a consultation with all F1 teams on various issues, including this one. On January 19, an item on the agenda of the Sporting Advisory Committee will be dedicated to the use of the safety car. The following stage will be a shared discussion with all F1 drivers. The outcome of the detailed analysis will be presented in the to, will be presented to the F1 Commission in February, and final decisions will be announced at the World Motorsport Council in Bahrain on 18 March. Okay. FIA, That's really close to when the start of the season is. Two days before the start of the season. Oh. FIA President Mohammed Ben Salem has asked Secretary General Sport and recently appointed single-seater director Peter Bayer for proposals to review and optimize the organization of the FIA F1 structure for the 2022 season. Mm. And I think that last statement is pretty key. There, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things to unpack here. Okay, let's start <clears throat> from the beginning. So originally everybody was reporting that it was the FIA's intention to provide at least some form of a preliminary report and preliminary findings to, I believe it was actually the World Motorsport Council on February 3rd. It sounds like that date has slipped. And it looks like, and and based on here, they've changed the wording to say presented, and, and it may have been the F1 Commission February 3rd was who they were thinking. But now it'll be the F1 Commission in February. So they, they backed away from that February 3rd date. And it's understood, again, from the reporting that we're hearing, that it's the first draft, the first level of findings are going to the F1 commission, and then the conversations are being held with the drivers of their findings. Mm-hmm. The big unknown, at least according to, to Sky Sports, and Sky Sports is very very insistent. I'm, I'm actually, I'm surprised at how insistent they are in this. As much as we know that they are big Lewis Hamilton fanboys, they are insistent that their sources within Hamilton's entourage and within high level at Mercedes is all they will say is that whether or not Lewis Hamilton races this season is solely dependent on these findings. Now, everybody has denied. There was a rumor that came out that said that Lewis's return was contingent on the FIA replacing Michael Massey. Mm. Everybody who was talking to the media, and Lewis Hamilton is not one of those people, but everybody who is talking to the media has denied those rumors. Interesting. So we do not know if that's true, but Mercedes has come out and said that it, they, they have not set this deadline that or, or the, this... Um, ultimatum. This ultimatum. Um, and coming from Lewis, Mercedes has said that Lewis has not 
set this ultimatum. Lewis himself is not talking. He still has not made any comments on social media. He hasn't made any media appearances whatsoever since the end of the season. Can we just take a second, a little <clears throat> a little side jaunt, as it were, mm-hmm. and discuss the amount of maturity of, in Lewis that shows. Keep in mind, remember when we went through the years of Moody Lewis. To some extent, I think that's kind of what we're getting here. Well, we're getting, we're possibly getting Moody Lewis, but we're getting Moody Lewis not in the public eye. And it used to be <clears throat> Moody Lewis in the public eye. I mean, yes, I will give him some level of credit for for the fact that he has stepped away from the public eye and he is moved he is not doing anything on social media and and all of those things those those crutches that he tends to rely on he does not appear to be doing that however and i get that he is disillusioned by how this all played out and how this worked and how this went from best driver to kind of feeling like roll of the dice Mm-hmm. I, I I get that, and I get that that's what's causing him the angst that it is. But here we are, a month, a little over a month before winter testing, and Lewis is under a contract for another year, and everyone's looking around, going, "We don't know if Lewis is going to come back." And if we're looking that. Mid-February is when he may finally start to get some kind of indication from the FIA as to what's going on and decide whether or not he likes it. And mid-February, just before we go to winter testing, Lewis Hamilton goes, yeah, that's it, I'm out. I'm going to be bothered by that. I have another scenario that's just hit me, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure you will poke a thousand holes into my other scenario. Walk this line. We know that what Lewis is looking for out of this investigation is whatever changes are needed so that everybody feels that like the fight is fair. Yeah. And Lewis is also a pretty savvy man and passionate about his platform. Yeah. It is entirely possible that his removal from social media and the thread of will he, won't he, is a subversive pressure on the FIA. It could be. To do something. Because how big would that black mark really be if we lose Lewis because... He at the it, truthfully yeah. at the top of his career, and he goes, "This sport is inherently unfair." And, and he is this one of the sport's two biggest names, right? <clears throat> Not only would that besmirch the previous world champion because it puts a black mark. It it basically says you cheated in some version thereof, or you grossly benefited from something that was not reasonable. Delegitimizes, I think, is probably what you're looking for. That's a good word. But it also brings forth that conversation that could thoroughly undermine Formula One. So in his silence, 
he is actually pulling quite a power play. This game of will he, won't he, you know he's talking to Toto. You Mm -hmm. know he's, I wouldn't be surprised if he's on the phone with Ross Braun. I mean, I really wouldn't be. As much as that that relationship has changed. But I'm willing to bet that this will he, won't he is part of the strategy. It, it very well could be. And, and we know that Lewis will play mind games when, when he sees an opportunity. What I want to know, and we probably won't find out until we find out, is whether or not Lewis has actually been training. Has he been so on the fence that he's not training like he normally does in the offseason because he's disillusioned and considering walking away? Or is he pushing just as hard as he normally is? And, you know, I've already decided that one of the predictions questions this year is going to be and it may be our traditional question for a couple of years of whether or not Lewis is going to retire at the end of the season. Because this this is what I got to wonder. So scenario one, Mm -hmm. Lewis isn't training because he's disillusioned. But he decides to come back because the FIA has made whatever changes he needs. And he's on the back foot. And maybe that's impacting his performance this season. And he doesn't get a championship. Scenario two, we have a big rule change. And the car does not suit him. Or Mercedes misses the boat with the design. And he doesn't win a championship. Could those scenarios where he's not fighting for it this year because of Either of those things make him say, yep, that's it, I'm out. Or along the same lines, I don't care how much Lewis turns around and says, yeah, you know, I like it when the championship's close. I love it when, you know, that's that. I don't believe that. I don't believe it for one second. And if it's another close championship this year and he still loses, do you think he's going to stay? I'm not answering until it's a prediction question. But but those are the scenarios that the, the potential scenarios we could see play out this year that could influence what he does. Or along the same lines, maybe he goes and walks away with it again this year and he gets number eight. Is that the trick? Mm-hmm. We don't know. And I think it, you know, we're at a point that we gotta start asking the question with him. Well, you've got to, I think you're right. I think <clears throat> it's gotta be, you know, now that Kimmy has finally retired, I mm-hmm. think we have to start looking at you know, is Vettel going to retire? Is Lewis going to retire? I think those are probably your next two major champion retirements. Um, you know, you asked about this training in off season. He could be rage training. He could be. It is entirely possible too. I mean, that could be what's keeping him, you know, you, you kind of think about the amount of endorphins and everything like that. That's what could be meeting the need to keep him off of social media, especially if he's playing a game. Or playing the silence to influence, you know, because quite frankly, you know, if I really sit here and chew on this, 
I'm really leaning down to he's quiet because and because it's strategic and not because he's licking his wounds. I, 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 I don't think that that's him, but he's quiet for strategic reasons. And here's the thing. If he was to come out in social media and go, I'm not coming back unless Michael Massey is, is relieved of his job and Michael Massey doesn't get relieved of his job, <clears throat> then he's in a catch-22. He's, he can't play his card and say, publicly give an ultimatum when there's a possibility that it won't happen. Mm-hmm. And this way, we're actually to that old Lincoln quote. Do you remember that one? It's far better to stay silent and let people think you're a fool than to open yeah. your mouth and prove them right. <clears throat> as long as he's silent, nobody knows what he's really thinking. Yeah, and, and I'm sure Mercedes has no problem to be that public front for him. No. And if you look through the season, that's what Toto did. Toto mm-hmm. took a lot of the fire. And you know both Toto and Christian Horner, to that extent, they ramped up their rivalry to kind of take the the heat off of Max and Lewis. And I think that that's exactly what, I mean, that's Mercedes circle in the wagons. Mm-hmm. Um, let them go out there and go, you got to make it fair. You've got to make, you've got to do something. But we don't know if Lewis is going to come back. You know, can't tell you. Because he's not talking to us either. You know, that kind of a thing. I mean, this... I will be shocked if Lewis doesn't come back. I will be stunned if Mossy keeps his job in its current state. Well, and and let, let's the the other I think very key uh, sentence in this statement, very important I think, is that last one that Secretary General Sport and recently appointed single seater director Peter Bayer. Has been asked for proposals to review and optimize the organization of the FIA F1 structure for the 2022 season. I'm fairly certain that that these proposals to review and optimize the organization are not put Bernie back in charge. <laughs> no, I don't think that's the case. And it also could be we're going to try to figure out a block where Moxie <clears throat> is not there. So in that role, one of the things that we have discovered this week is that, well, let's even back up a little bit and talk about the the position and what it used to look like and what it used to be. Mm -hmm. So originally it was Charlie Whiting was the race director. Herbie Blash was the assistant race director. And if Charlie couldn't make it, Herbie could cover for him and vice versa. And typically the way the races used to be run was, and and we heard this from Martin Brundle, who who confirmed it for us, is Charlie would act as the race starter. When cars were lined up on the grid and and they finished that formation lap, it was Charlie who was the one who who was down in the little tower at at the, the edge of the track who pushed the button to set the lights off. And while Charlie was down there, Herbie was up in race control acting as the de facto race director for those first couple of laps until Charlie made it up into race control and took over for him. Mm -hmm. But it meant that Herbie had the experience because Herbie was filling the role. And if for some reason Charlie wasn't available or Charlie was ill or something like that, 
Herbie could fill in as the race director. There is nobody who's a backup for Michael Massey. There's nobody who's getting that experience. Michael Massey worked for um, Charlie Whiting for to some extent. He was not in a race director type role. And, and Herbie, um, since retired, and I think he passed away a year or two ago. But Herbie's retired as well. It's not like you can call up Herbie and ask him to come and take over because he's retired. And I think, like I said, I think he passed away. Um, it would be really hard. To- yeah. <laughs> and, and a lot of the... Where's Shirley MacLaine when you need her? Yeah. A, a lot of folks have said, you know, Michael Massey, is, he's a nice guy. And I, I will say from what we have seen, and, and the, the one positive that I will throw to Michael Massey, because we've never met him, we've only seen what's going on, I do believe very strongly that driver safety is just as much at the forefront for him as it was for Charlie Whiting and Herbie Blash and everybody else, if not possibly a little bit further up. Mm. And I, w- I will give Michael that credit. I, I do think that when it comes to the safety of the drivers, that is of prime importance to him. But when Charlie passed away and Michael was and, and the decision was made as to what to do with the race director role, what we were originally told was that all of the many billions of things that Charlie actually did, because he did a lot, was supposed to get split between three other folks. Mm-hmm. Which I would assume ostensibly meant that the other two folks besides Michael Massey, who were supposed to be filling these roles, would be getting some level of cross-training and experience. So if they needed somebody to fill in for Michael, that could happen. Right. To my understanding, there's nobody to do that. Mm. Which when you think about the last two years, take all the other controversy away. And you think of the last two years and what Formula One has been going through with the COVID protocols and all the rescheduling and, and the drivers going into quarantine and all of that stuff to think that if Michael Massey tested positive, Formula One probably didn't have somebody to take his place to run the races. That is a problem and short-sighted. Uh-huh. That's kind of frightening. I mean, could you imagine if you were Jean Todd going, yeah, we're going to need to cancel this race because Michael Massey tested positive and he's in quarantine and we don't have a qualified race director. Or you pull in a second string from F2 or some something like that and they don't know the rules as well. And you run into one of these controversial calls. I know can't be much worse than what we dealt with but still (laughs) i mean i i I realize that you have a day job but you i don't don't want the job you you do have an extensive understanding of the sporting regulations i don't want the job but i mean that's that then begs the next question now that we've gotten all of that through so the FIA decides that Michael Massey is no longer suitable for the role. Who are you going to put in his place? Mm-hmm. There's nobody there. 
Now, the, the, there is that question of, well, okay, even if you, because there's nobody to replace Michael, well, what do you do? And can Michael Massey stay in the job? Yeah, that's your other big question. Um, and, and, and there's folks that, that go either way with, with the, well, yeah, he, he's done, if, if nothing else, and, and they say he's a nice guy, but if nothing else, what happened this year in its entirety, he has significantly tarnished the credibility of officiating in Formula One. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. That's a big problem. Now, there's folks like like Martin Brando who says, well, you know, yeah, he, he's done a lot of damage, but there's nobody to take his place. So what are you going to do? Well, I'm, he's on his last life. I mean, that, that's that's Martin Brundle's position of, you know, he's learned his lesson. He's going to do better next year, which I don't know about that. I'm, I, I'm sorry. Because we don't have a, a replacement is not the reason you keep around the person who is doing so much damage. And... You spend this time, you find the mm-hmm. person and you go, okay, you have three months to get as much knowledge as you can and we'll figure out how to get a team behind you to support you, to make it through. But you got, you got to have you somebody have on deck. Seri- yeah, you've seriously tarnished the reputation of the sport. And, you know, if you think about it, for whatever reason, if Formula One comes down and they say, we're, we're keeping Michael, let's play the scenario out for a couple of weeks. Formula One says, we're keeping Michael. We, we've made changes to the structure. We've given this backup. We've done all of these things. But Michael's experience, he's our guy. He's who we're going with. I'm assuming, I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming that the race director comes to preseason testing and has some involvement in some of the prep work around preseason testing. When the only people in attendance besides the teams are the press. Mm-hmm. What do you think every one of those encounters with a reporter is going to be like at winter testing for Michael Massey? Are you sure you can do your job? And even if... He doesn't go to winter testing. What do you think it's going to be like at race number one? Every single reporter in that paddock is going to be looking out for Michael so that they can corner him. Mm-hmm. And if they don't get him in Bahrain, they're going to look for the next race. And so on for the first couple of weeks of the season, if not more often than that. You know, I, I kind of look at this like what happens to a judge when they have a very public case overturned mm-hmm. and called into question and, you know, retried and whatever. Um, they fade away into obscurity, but they stay on the bench. No, but wait, <clears throat> what happens to the next cases. What happens to all the cases that happened between the one that gets overturned and the current case? Every one of those goes into judicial review. 
they can go back and they do often go back and say, okay, you ruled on this case and you put the wrong guy in jail. Now, every other case that was at all similar gets pulled back up. And that's the, that's the position that Michael is going to be in is he will get constantly second guessed and Monday morning race directed by every reporter, every person, every team, everything, if they keep him. It will cause every decision to be scrutinized. Every decision, I mean, all of that Mm -hmm. will become far worse and it will be assumed that it was incorrect until proven correct versus the other way around. It only makes logical sense, which means the FIA is not possibly going to do it. <clears throat> only makes po- logical sense to sideline Mossy. I'm not saying you got to fire him. I'm saying you got to get him out of his role. I, I think he needs a new role within FIA. Possibly not connected to Formula One. Or, you know what? Again, going back to something that I think he's been really good at. Put him in charge of single-seater safety. Mm. I think that would be a really good role for him. Again, I think he holds driver safety as one of his top priorities, if not the top priority, and of prime importance. So let, let's take him out of this role and put him... Now, it, it does beg the question of, well, who do you get then to do this? And I'm going to hope, if nothing else, that... Peter Bayer comes out and says, you guys need to come up with a deputy race director. we got to have somebody else. You, even if we get rid of Michael Massey, we, we, we can't just name one race director. We've got to name more than one to be and, and, and make them a backup and maybe alternators. I don't know. But it can't be one guy. Well, yeah. And I would have thought that they would have learned their lesson when Charlie died. Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, well, they told us they had. Oh yeah, they we got told to us they were go- They had three people, and it doesn't sound like they actually did that. Now, for all we know, for all we know, there is somebody that has been sitting quietly in a corner that doesn't talk to the press, that nobody knows who their name is, but has been studying at the feet of Charlie, then Michael. And we just don't know who they are. Alan Vandermerver. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't know. But at some point, <clears throat> they're going to have to come up with a replacement. And my hope, my honest hope here is, what we're going to find out in the middle of February is there's a replacement and they're going to name them two days before the start of the season. That maybe I don't know. That Michael is going to be moved to a different part of the organization and then they will name him. That's going to be my guess because that will appease so many people. Now, the one name that, that I've seen thrown out there, and really it was basically just kind of thrown out there. Um, we, we've got n- no kind of credibility as to whether or not it's a possibility other than somebody said, well, he, he's free and he used to work for the FIA. So the now former team principal for Alpine, 
Oh. And we we're going to talk about this story later, but I'm going to pull it up now anyway. Um, Alpine announced is, this week that uh, they have parted ways with team principal Marcin Budkowski. He's gone gardening. He has. He actually changed his Instagram picture to a sign that says gone gardening. Mm. Um, word is that actually this parting of the ways occurred in Abu Dhabi. Um, and he knew about it post-race, but it was only announced now. Ah. Um, but his, Marcin Budkowski came to Alpine from the FIA Single-Seater Commission. Oh. Yeah. There, that, there, that could be and something to this. As you'll recall, because we talked about this when it happened, when Marcin Budkowski, and, and I think he was... Something to do with the technical piece. Um, when Marson left the FIA to go to then Renault, there was a lot of concern because he was in a role that he saw all of the team's technical designs and drawings as part of the scrutinizing and scrutineering. And everyone was like, well, wait a minute. If Marson goes over to, to Renault... He's got all of this knowledge from being able to review all of these plans and it could give Renault an advantage. Mm-hmm. And there was some something that was done that, that, and I don't think he went on gardening leave before they did it, but something had been worked that everyone was okay with, with it finally. But he's at least got a technical background with the FIA. Does that translate into race director? I don't necessarily think so. But I don't see too many other options. The only thing that concerns me is the timing that he was put on gardening leave before or just right after Abu Dhabi. Mm -hmm. That's not sounding like they the FIA is like, hey, would you consider coming over here again? And well, we we don't know when Alpine informed the FIA. They may have given him a heads up. I don't know, we, and we don't know what Marson is up to at this point. the The general feeling is that this is related to Otmar's departure from Aston. Is the theory. And we wait, and we wait. Yeah. So, other news. Mm-hmm. Do you remember last summer? No. Yeah, you probably don't. But I'm going <laughs> to remind you of it anyway. That last summer, within about two or three weeks after Honda made their announcement that they were walking away, it may have been right around the time of Zanvoort, that I said, you know, with Max doing as well as he's doing and fighting for the championship, when do we think Honda's going to start having second thoughts about what they're doing and questioning walking away when they are? I vaguely recall this conversation. So, this past week, Honda's now former Formula One chief, Masaki Yamamoto, says that, uh, yeah, Honda quit F1 too early. Well, yeah, the fact that they announced that they were quitting 
and then went on to win the championship. That is the definition of quitting too early. So he says, this is obviously a company decision, and I understand which way the company wants to go. So in the end, we have to accept that. But he agrees that it's a little too early to leave. He says, but we always have the imagination. So we hope one day Honda will return to F1. And he said he was sad to see Honda go, but he said there was great satisfaction rather than relief that they won the Drivers' Championship with Max Verstappen. He says that um, they actually hit their target for Formula One, which, again, baffles me. If you hit your target, why did you leave? (laughs) He says, you know, we knew this from last October 2020. We knew that, of course, we had to push for it in 2022. 2021, he explained, we took a different mindset, looked at the decision a different way, gave everything to perform in the time we still had left. We focused to win the championship in our last year, and now I think we completed our job in F1. We have met our target even within the time frame we set for ourselves. He said, they had the partnership with Toro Rosso, and a year later, Red Bull came in. Our aim and also their aim was to win the championship within three years. Exactly that has happened in 2021. So it's just a great story, especially as we put a lot of effort into it. And it makes you wonder, if your target was to win a championship in three years, why two years did you go, yep, we're out? I don't think there'll be any logic that we can apply to Honda and make it make sense. You know, it's one of... The issue that I have is that we've seen this with just about every time Honda has played in Formula One. They play in Formula One and they're perfectly happy if things seem to be going in their way. But the minute it starts to take a downturn, and in this case, yeah, they went a couple of years, it takes a downturn, instead of sticking it out, they said, that's it, we're taking their toys and we're going home. And you look at Renault and now Alpine, you look at Ferrari and all that's been going on there, And they have these down years. And the big difference is that they have stayed in the sport. Mm -hmm. They have not left. And I think if you're truly going to be successful in Formula One as an engine manufacturer, probably as a constructor as well, you have to go in with that understanding that you are playing the long game. And this is not we're going to come in and in two or three years, poof, we're going to be winning championships and at the top of the pack. You're going to have to work there. And some years are going to really suck. And some are going to be amazing. And a lot in the middle, if you're lucky, are going to be just kind of okay. Mm-hmm. And Honda didn't give it a chance. And they haven't been willing to give it that chance. I mean... You should just pick up the phone and call Ferrari. I should? No, Honda oh. should have. Yeah. We're going to talk about playing the long game. That's Ferrari. They've had great years. They've had horrendous years. They're still Ferrari and they're still in the sport. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Honda, at least the former head of Formula One racing for Honda is... Having second thoughts. Shocking. Serves you right. (laughs) So, talked about Otmar. We talked about him leaving last week. Um, Actually, before we even get to that, with the first announcement that we got from Aston Martin this week is that they have revealed the launch date for their 2022 Formula One car. They are the first team 
to nail down a date. Mm. Because we did hear from Ferrari. Ferrari said that um, we might do it sometime around middle of February, 16th to the 18th. We haven't figured it out yet, but one of those days we'll probably do our car. Okay. That, that, that's what they said, February 16th to the 18th. We'll have a car launch probably somewhere then. They're going to do a really, really slow car launch. You'll get a wheel on the 16th. You'll get a front wing on the 17th. The halo's going to come out at one point. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to reveal one part of the car per hour for three days. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Look, this is what the steering wheel looks like. Yeah. This is a driver sitting on a tire. My prediction for Ferrari next year? It's red. It's going to be, or this year, it's going to be red. Really? Yeah, that, that's my prediction. Is it going to have white or black? White. A lot of white because white makes it go faster. Well, they say that red does. But anyway, <laughs> it's my prediction is that Ferrari will be red. But the story is Aston Martin announced their date. Oh. February 10th will be their car reveal. They are the first one to announce it. It will be held at the team's headquarters. Um, like I mentioned... Alpine announced the departure of Marcin Budkowski, and we got a team principal announcement. Not from Alpine. Oh. Aston Martin. Oh, yes. Aston Martin has appointed Mike Crack as the team boss, um, as the new team principal, replacing Otmar Safnauer. Um, so he's got a decent amount of experience. Um Joined Sauber in 2001, uh, became chief engineer in the, when the team was BMW Sauber as a works team. Um, and he's got experience with, with Sebastian Vettel. Oh. And there's been a lot of talk on social media about the fact that this is probably the big driving force behind why he was hired for the role because of his familiarity with Sebastian. Um, also a lot of talk about how the last couple of months Aston has been working to make the team a place that Sebastian wants to be at. Oh, okay. Which is in, which if, if that's true, this would make sense. Um, he left Sauber in 2009, uh, spent time in F3 and DTM before joining Porsche WEC, uh, as the head of track engineering in 2012, working alongside Andreas Seidel. Oh, okay. Andreas Seidel's over at McLaren now. Right. Um, he returned to BMW in an engineering role in 2014, rose to the position of head of race and test engineering operations and organization in 2018. Um, Mike will work under the direction of team owner Lance, uh, Lawrence Stroll and Martin Whitmarsh. Okay. I was definitely predicting that we would see Martin Whitmarsh come back in that, that role. That was but what we were, we were both wondering that. Yeah, but okay. Um, and you're not going to make fun of his name at all, are you? I am not. There's been enough of that crap on Twitter the last couple of days. Pretty <laughs> juvenile, actually. You, you are above that. Yes. Okay. I, I will remain above that. So, what do we know about this year? In a season and what's happened? Okay, what do we know? So, the biggest change 
the biggest thing is expected to be the change in the aerodynamics package. Okay. So what we're getting this year is a return to um, ground effect uh, underbody for the... Um, downforce? The downforce. Thank you. Sounds like you, you guys got to see the charades that I go through yeah. trying to come up with anyway, the words that he's under- thinking of that nobody knows. So ground effect body tunnels have not permit- been permitted in Formula One since 1982. Oh, okay. Um, F1 was looking to reduce the reliance on all the wings and aerodynamic to use um, Martin Brundle's terminology, the aerodynamic furniture. Yes, the furniture. To reduce a lot of that because as we know, that that's what's blamed for all the dirty air and the problems that cars have with the close following and the rate. So the thought is that these ground force or, or ground effect downforce can A, better handle the turbulence, but by removing a lot of those top side aerodynamic bits don't have as much of that dirty air Mm. um what has been done is they've created a pronounced entry at the front of the car the air moves through two venturi tunnels and as the air flows under the car it's squeezed through the point closest to the ground developing an extreme low pressure area which creates a large amount of suction underneath so the floor is relied on more for downforce and reduces the weight produced by various bodywork components. Now, the question I have, we've already seen problems through the years at especially newer venues with the suction underneath the cars damaging the track, pulling up drain covers, pulling up manhole covers, doing all kinds of damage. If that effect is more produced, are we going to have a problem this year at some tracks? I don't know, but I think the word you were looking for is pronounced. What did I say? Produced. Okay. <laughs> I'll take your word for that. <laughs> so the the ground effect downforce change number one. We're getting new tires this year. Yes. They've turned 18. <laughs> um, you're going to notice a very different looking car to previous years um the the one of the things that they're doing is there's body work around the wheels there's oh. wheel covers coming which is the first time that formula one has had them in decades wheel covers on the the wheels themselves uh there is um some fins and around the tires to reduce the the wake and the force of the wake that's generated from the tires to again reduce the amount of dirty air that's created as a car goes through it um right now drs remains okay um but supposedly there's a possibility that drs could go away interesting but as of right now that's still there Uh, according to the fia what they have seen is that when uh looking at at the the space one car length behind another car um, the following car has 86% of its usual downforce compared to 55% it currently experiences. Okay, that's so an improvement. So that's, that's fairly significant. Um, to limit R&D costs, gearboxes will be frozen from 2022 to the end of 2025. 
in that time, there can only be one upgrade to the gearbox specification. Oh, interesting. So mostly frozen. Mostly frozen. One year. Um, changes in the suspension regulations. Um, you only get springs and dampeners. So if you wanted to do a design with torsion bars, that's not allowed anymore. I know that was important to you. I was. I, I very much mm-hmm. wanted torsion bars. Okay. Suspension uprights must now be solely included within the wheel assembly. No external mounting points may be permitted. The front wing has been redefined. Um, you can only have a maximum of four elements overall. Um, the end plates look different and are, are intended to produce a smooth blend from the front wing elements to a single piece end plate upturned like a uh, plane's wing. The nose attaches directly to the wing, much like it used to before the middle of the 1990s. Um, the rear wing has been redesigned as well. Um, it's kind of end plate less is the best way to describe it. Okay. Um, instead, it loops around into a beam wing mounting. Um, it's intended to cut the strength of the vortices produced at the rear of the car, which is blamed for cars being unable to follow each other. My only concern with this, mm-hmm. and it's a minor one because it's a visual aspect, but if you think about all of the times when the cars have been racing and it's either been wet or it's been kind of humid, there's just been moisture in the air. And you get to see those vortices as the car goes racing through, <laughs> spinning off the, the, the rear wing. Are we going to lose those? Because those are kind of cool. Well, it's really cool when you see that because it also tells you like how that wind in the air is really yeah. moving. Um, if it's supposed to limit that, you would think that you're going to not see that as much. Um, 23 race calendar next year. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, we are still provisional with Australia, Canada, Singapore, and Japan. Okay. Um, my understanding is for most of those, they're provisional. Well, with the exception of Singapore, because I don't think Singapore signed a contract yet. But the others are around COVID is why they're provisional. Um, there has been a significant amount of work, and it's still going on over in Albert Park. Mm. Um, repaving it, reprofiling corners. So obviously, Albert Park wants Formula One back. Um, Singapore, I haven't heard anything about, which surprises me. It really does surprise me. Mm-hmm. It is a popular race there, too. Um, second round at the Jeddah Corniche circuit in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. But as a reminder, even though they have a, I think it's a 10-year deal with Formula One, we are not going back to Qatar this year. We go back in 2021. Because they have the World Cup. Right. And... I believe we're going back in 2021. Completely different racetrack. 2023. 2023. That's it. We just came out of 2021. Yeah. Time travel still not a thing. Yeah. Um, 2023, we go back to a completely different racetrack when we go back to Cutter. Correct. Um, we don't know anything about changes coming to Jetta. We're assuming that something is going to change there because that track was on the edge. Um, Miami is still on the calendar. Work continues at the track. You mean parking lot? Yeah. You know, I should have, when we were down there, I should have, and I thought about going that way back north, and I didn't to see what I could see. Because mm-hmm. I went down to Miami. Uh, 
But my understanding is work continues, and there, the photos are still coming from um, Miami Dolphins Pro Robbie, whatever the heck they call it, stadium. <laughs> oh, it's Hard Rock Stadium now. That's right. And it's not going to be at the stadium. It's going to be at the parking lot, remember? Yes. Um, China was not listed on the 2022 calendar despite holding a contract to do so. Um, and the season is expected to close in Abu Dhabi in November. All right. As for preseason testing, currently set to start in Barcelona on the 23rd to the 25th. Um, Bahrain will host a second block of running March 11th to the 13th. And then the start of the season? Start of the season is March 20th in Bahrain. Six days of testing total. Oh, I hope Mercedes gets it right. It'll be interesting to see what'll happen. So I don't want to dive into the the technical regulation changes. There are some some changes there as well. The one thing I will mention is that the plan is still for six sprint races. Um, they're talking opening race in Bahrain will have a sprint. Imola, Montreal, Red Bull Ring, and Zandvoort and Interlagos are expected to be nominated venues for sprint races. I hate sprint races. Oh, and one other thing, the cost cap, the cost cap drops another $5 million from $145 to $140 million for the year. I hate sprint races. I get that. Um, Zach Brown has said that McLaren is adamantly opposed to making changes to the cost cap to allow, as allowances for damage that may potentially occur in a sprint race. Really? Adamantly, Adamantly opposed. opposed. Yes. Um, Zach, according to Zach, he does say that um, he was encouraged that the sprint races had a positive impact on viewing figures, but that there are some format tweaks that need to be discussed. Um, he said that some want to take the opportunity to raise the cost cap a few of the teams. We're adamantly opposed to raising the cost cap on anything so we're going to need to work through that issue so as a reminder teams were given an allowance of four hundred fifty thousand dollars for taking part in the, the three sprint races with an additional one hundred thousand dollars for accident damage um zach said that a couple of teams were looking to raise the budget cap but all he will say is by a ridiculous number for 2022 <laughs> yeah he said, the reality is there was very little damage last year. When this was proposed to us a year ago, they did a report on the damage that was occurred on opening laps, and it was also in the report that showed there was very little damage. We came into this thinking there could be very little damage, and it turns out there was very little damage. And yet a couple of the teams still want to take the opportunity to raise the budget by a ridiculous amount, by almost, well, what if I write off a car every race? From what I've seen, I saw more crashes in practice than I have in the sprint races. It might be new to some teams to actually have to manage a budget, but I think that's in the spirit of the sport, so you can certainly match the revenue to the expense and resolve that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. 
Yeah. So there, there's been some other conversations. It's, it's my understanding around the format with the sprint, and they that it doesn't sound like they've settled on a whole lot just yet. But there was talk about well, what are they going to possibly making changes around pole, possibly making changes around whether or not the sprint has an impact on the grid, which. As much as I can see your point on this, my feeling is, well, if the sprint doesn't have an impact on the grid or on really anything other than some points, why are you having a sprint race? Yeah. What's the point? I know. Just go and make the the Sunday race worth more points and then you don't have to deal with it. Or make the Sunday race longer. Yeah. If that's really what you're concerned about. But, Yeah. Still don't like the sprint race. Can't make me. It was okay. I One time. One time in three, it was tolerable. Okay, here, here's what I will say. And, and, and I'm not calling for it to come back. But I will say, and again, going to that one time, mm-hmm. the sprint in Brazil was pretty dang good. One time. Right. One third is 33%. That is actually, a failing grade. Actually, it kind of makes me wonder. In, 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 in all honesty, it makes me wonder. Whatever you need to... And, and I don't know if it's necessarily the fact you need Lewis Hamilton carving from the back of the grid. But the fact that that happened and it meant that we had a good race, even if you just want to consider the sprint in, in Brazil, the good race that we had, do that some more in Brazil. <laughs> Whatever that magic formula was that meant that we had really good racing in Brazil, do that some more in Brazil. It'll make me actually like the race in Brazil. Okay. Because that can be kind of hit or miss, that race. But you like the race in Brazil better than any race that's ever happened in Paul Ricard. Oh, absolutely. I'm not denying that. And a sprint race isn't going to help Paul Ricard. No. Here's the thing. They had three sprint races last year. One of them was interesting. That makes the grade 33%. It is a failing grade with only 7% of the fans surveyed that even like it in the first place. There was that too. But, you know, now that you've brought this up, specifically Paul Ricard, again, this past year, the one time ever, we walked into Paul Ricard, we're like, this is going to suck. This is Paul Ricard. Paul Ricard always sucks. We had a good race in Paul Ricard. Find whatever that magic thing was in Paul Ricard. Do it again. That's what I want Formula One to focus on. That and the Mossy situation. But figure (laughs) out what it was about Paul Ricard last year that made that actually a good race and do it again. You can't argue that one. No. (laughs) On that note, (laughs) call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. 
Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.